Today we have a special guest in studio with us. It's John Hart. John came from the same church group as Steve and I did, and he was a little bit older, and he is someone who has been a very good friend and someone who encouraged us when we were just up and coming. So I hope you enjoy the show um, and meeting our buddy, good friend, John Hart. Cheers. And oh, camera two is your computer. Okay. Camera two is the screen. Yeah. Camera so one. Camera two. Exactly. <laughs> camera one. I was thinking of this like Wayne's World a little bit. Like, <laughs> like this is a public access. try some uh, Romans that's gonna, a great this, segue this is an easy one <laughs> what <laughs> he said that's a great segue yeah segues are something that you know <laughs> we specialize I around here. well yeah, listen we, mall we cops really... are very good with segues too they are. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a mall cop or anything but I someday maybe someday <laughs> you do own a scooter so it's it's close all right. Would you like to read this one? Sure. So today's Romans is Romans 8, 1 through 4. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So last week we were talking about how all of the that we're kind of still slaves to sin in some ways right and so this is going the opposite direction this is telling us that we're we're, we're free from that the spirit has freed us from this so, i haven't seen the previous episode yet so the previous episode, so were you doing romans seven. seven romans yes. seven and the part the 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 things i do not want to do i do but i do not do the exactly. things that i want to do that whole like circle of like right. craziness there yeah that's my f- favorite passage in the whole word in seven in seven okay well just because it's paul who met jesus and like had apparently more faith than just about anybody ever besides obviously God had perfect (laughs) faith. But, uh, and then here he is identifying with the sinful conundrum we find ourselves in. And even though it's kind of funny how it's interpret, like it kind of circles around does all that. It so clearly encapsulates that idea of how messed up, how wretched we are. And then he, he ends it with, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God and Jesus Christ. And then the next sentence is, so now, 
there is no condemnation because thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. So this is the, this is the, uh, the thought after the, what he described was this, the power of that first sentence there is based on what he just said, how lost we are because the law condemns us. Yes. Yeah. Because the law makes clear the difference between sin and non-sin. And then we become so aware of our sin and we can't escape it because the law is perfect and just and we can't do it. Yeah, we keep on we keep on going back to the well. And no matter how hard we try, even though you can actually want to do what's right and you still can't keep it consistent forever. You You still you still um, you still mess up. I think a lot of people get disillusioned. You know, I, I, I reflect on uh, a thought I had okay. when I was in youth group yeah. thinking, because, you know, every once in a while we might do like a men's retreat or something like that. And it, mm-hmm. as a youth, you're a part of it. And you're seeing these men who are much older, you know, like 40. And <laughs> they're talking about... Much, much yeah. older. Yeah. We'll Ancient. never be that old. <laughs> uh, they're talking about where they're at in their spiritual walk. And they're admiring you as a youth, like, wow, you know, I wish I had known this when I was your age, they would say, right? And I remember having this thought of thinking, man, that that's true. Then if where I'm at now as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, whatever, man, what will God be able to do through me when I'm 40? <laughs> You're going to you be know? a powerhouse. <laughs> like, I, like, honestly, this is a delusional thought, but I'm thinking yeah. I'm going to be like, like, because I know now this thing that this 40 year old old person is saying they wish they knew when they were my age, then it can only mean that by the time I'm their age, my faith, my walk, everything's going to be this like earth shattering, like I'll be able to move mountains kind of thing, right? Yep. With my faith. Um, and then I experience Romans 7. <laughs> right. <laughs> and everybody does, uh-huh. right? And a lot of people become disillusioned because they think this faith hasn't made my life easy. This faith, this reality, you know, like I said, I left the youth group and then on the other side of the youth group, things were a lot harder because I wasn't in that bubble of like high school and youth group. It was hard. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second. It's not supposed to be like this. You, yeah. you lose the, you lose that constant culture and you have access to a whole bunch more world. Mm-hmm. When you're in high school, you have the total culture, and then also you still live with your parents. And we didn't really have the internet have, then or anything. Yeah, there was like, no internet. It was just like li- li- going out and living and seeing the world in ways where you know, yeah, you're part of a little bit of a bubble. You don't see it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Romans seven just reminds me all the time of that. That there is this like, you know, I I I ache. When I see people who at one point did have that spark of faith in them and you saw it and then it fades away and then they seem to just never come back, you know? And I think, Oh, Romans eight one. Yeah. Yeah. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. So this says that you've been freed from the power of sin that leads to death. What do you think about that? I mean, sins and I, I look at the world where there's not a whole, like people who don't have the Holy Spirit, people who aren't saved, 
And it's an inevitability that they're going to do what they want, how they want, when they want it. And that that's going to be a ruling force in their life. And you'll see, like for me, I just, what I really notice, what's stark to me is that it doesn't seem to trouble them. Hmm. You know, because it's just the way that it is. And so they have a comfort level with, you know, and I think God's word is like the truth is written on our hearts. Like no one's free from, from being made in the image of God. We're all made Mm -hmm. in it. So we have these truths that like are embedded in us. So everybody has this like morality and they don't know where it comes from, but obviously we do. Um, So there are people who will be very ethical, moral people, but at the same time, it doesn't, you don't have to look under the hood very far where you see they have a real comfort with, you know, if they're going to lie to protect themselves, they'll easily do it. And they don't really have a conscience, a conscience about it. They're not haunted by it, you know? And so the freedom isn't freedom in what I had wished for when I was 18 and that, you know, I wouldn't struggle with sin. Mm -hmm. You know, the freedom is you can be aware of it to know that it is a struggle and that you can have power over it through the Holy Spirit, which is, you know, gobbledygook to somebody who's not saved, but people who are saved and have experienced that, it's self-evidently true. Yeah, and it's so good. The high schooler has an advantage because you can see it now from the person who is 40 talking to the high school kid. What the 40-year-old is trying to communicate, I think, if I was to talk, like when I talk to my high school brother, who's still in high school, um, it's kind of like, dude, the struggles that you're starting to encounter right now, they, they're the same struggles that you'll still be dealing with 20 years down the road. Like it doesn't really change. The thing that is at the essence of what is entices a teenager is still the thing that is enticing a 60 year old. And it, it, it might, the circumstances might change around it. You know, you might be stealing from your company instead of stealing from your parents or your friend or something like that. But what you're encountering as you get into that, you know, that when you start to become an adult is like the devil throws, the devil throws all of it at you. And just because I'm older, the game doesn't change. And so it's, it's kind of like, good, you're so prepared. But what that speech also can kind of do, and it did for me in a lot of ways, is you think because everything that the older people are saying is correct, they've learned it. Like they've put all this stuff in their, in their rear view mirror. And then you start to go, why haven't I put it in my rear view mirror? And I'm 24. Why haven't I put it in my rear view mirror? And I'm 29. Why haven't I put it in? And you go, Oh, okay. There's no temptation that is uh, not common to man. And, you know, that's comforting to know that whatever is tempting you is not like unique only to you. But, you know, the converse is also true. Every single man, no matter how good they look or how well they speak, has also encountered and is constantly has to be on guard with the same temptations that's common to everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's true, you know, when you, one thing married couples learn if you stay married for very long is when you look at people who are married for a very long time, one thing you automatically know is, oh, they've probably thought about divorce at some point. They've probably struggled with extreme frustration or extreme like disappointment. What did I get myself into? (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, okay, I now understand why people sometimes want to get out. Not Mm -hmm. because 
you know, you want to or not because, um, you know, it's necessarily something you're going to follow through on. But the intensity of the reality of like the disappointment, the hurt, the struggle Mm -hmm. to, you know, really come to grips, come to terms with what it means to give up your own idea for what you want for somebody Mm. else and realize if they don't reciprocate, it doesn't change your responsibility. And that plays so many mind games, but married people get that, you know, once you, when you see somebody who's been married for So I think it's the same thing with generally the Christian walk too, is when you see somebody who's still a Christian, still like, like dug in and that they're, you know, no matter how hard life's been or how their struggle has gone, you see years later, they're returning to the word, they're returning to the church, they're, they're doing things to continue to walk with God, you know that they've had the Holy Spirit in them and that they've kept, you know, the, the, this, um, the power of the Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Like there's evidence of it there. You know, you see mm-hmm. it. I just want to say, all right, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but when I mm-hmm. see you guys, we're much older than we were when we all met. <laughs> but I yes. still see you like I saw you all those years ago. Yeah. You know, I I know what you mean. I I mean, it's like, it's crazy. I'm sure people from the outside looking in see like older guys if they're young, right? They're like, oh, look at these. I don't know. I'm 44, 40, 40, 40, 41. Yeah. Wow. Well, a couple half dead people. (laughs) 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 And I still see us as stupid kids with, uh, you know, one thing I remember specifically about you two, I was thinking about this is the, um, the male Jeeps. Yes. That's like a very fond memory. And it's explicitly is the U2 because they had that surplus of like decommissioned male Jeeps that they were selling for like 500 bucks. Was it? Yeah. If you got an expensive one, they're 500 bucks. (laughs) What happened was get the one with holes in it for 450. (laughs) (laughs) But I was, I was on my way home from school. I was at U of M Flint and they had a big post office there in Flint and they, they had one male Jeep out in front of the post office, and it says like four hundred bucks. And I thought, <laughs> I, I, could, I don't want to lose money on this. Yeah. this is, I this I could get by that. And I I mean, essentially, you have a street legal go kart for less than the <laughs> price of a go kart. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm gonna need to look into this. So I walked in and I said. I'm interested in the the male Jeep. And the lady was like, we've got tons of them. If you, if you go out to the back lot, you can talk to the people that are selling them. And I'm like, all right. I the go back, back there. There's like a hundred of them, right? There's tons of them. And I'm thinking, oh, this is a much bigger deal than I originally thought. And I walked into the place and I said, I'm interested in a male Jeep. But like, are they like horrible condition? Like, tell me about it. They're like, well, it only has one seat. It's only got a driver's seat. It's on the wrong side. And other than that, no, they haven't been driven much, right? Like they have maybe 30 or 40,000 miles on them. And those are stop and go miles. Yeah. (laughs) We're not talking highway. (laughs) And so I said, I'll take one. Like, give me one right now. And uh, so they're they're very good salespeople, apparently. Yeah. And so uh, so I bought it and I brought it home to my parents and my parents were a little bit concerned. They're like, why do we need parents if they weren't? Why do we need to keep this in our driveway? So then I said, hey, Dave, look at what I have found. 
Yeah. And so uh, how did it go from your side? Well, it was my first vehicle. So <clears throat> I wasn't, I didn't have my own car and that was a good enough deal that my dad was like, all right. Oh, that's then funny. I, bought, I didn't realize that. I bought two of them and <laughs> I bought two of them, one for four fifty, one for 500 bucks. And I sold one of them for like $900 or a thousand. I think we asked a thousand and got 900. So mine was almost free. That's brilliant. Sold the one that wasn't as good. Put it out by uh, M59 and that. So, <clears throat> yeah, I painted mine Viper blue. See, that's the thing I remember about yours is that you got into the whole painting aspect of it. Yeah. And, and that it didn't like, work out very well. No, because Viper blue doesn't go good on a retired metal uh, jeep <laughs> it doesn't it was, have the effect that you would hope like no making it look cool no, no. one thought it went faster <laughs> <laughs> including the jeep itself yeah the uh and what's funny is i ended up selling mine to a male person for like 1500 oh. so i like i made money on that deal nice. even after the viper paint even after the vi- I think that you was don't the include selling. that. That was just regular maintenance. <laughs> I remember uh, you were on the like high school basketball team for the church. Yes, right. And uh, I don't know if I needed a ride home or what was going on. No, but, I didn't have a car, so you always drove me. Well, no, but you right? had this Jeep. Oh, I had the okay. So that that was, was when you had the Jeep. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, there you go. Thanks for cranking that down. Um, <clears throat> You were, it was a cold night. Mm-hmm. You were driving the Jeep. I don't know if we were going to Ram's Horn or what, because that was something we Usually, would do. Usually, yeah. Um, but it wouldn't start. Right. I never started. And so you had... Remember, this is the for, better of the two For Jeeps. some reason, I remember... I could be wrong. Maybe I'm getting this wrong. My memory says you had nail clippers that you used... To bridge, there were pliers were or they, screwdrivers or whatever. I, some, some metal, object. some metal object yeah. to bridge the charge between like the solenoid yep. and s- something Spider. else, so that it would start. Yeah. But for in my mind, it was nail clippers. I don't know why, because you were like searching frantically. It like, oh, it's okay. Well, it I'll do. And you're like looking in your car for stuff, and I'm like. What is going on here? Yeah. Who lives this way? <laughs> I know it's probably a $12 solenoid. Never replaced it. Started it with pliers for as soon as it went bad until the Jeep stopped going. Yeah, and you tried to get it to stop going as much as you possibly could. Did you guys, yeah. didn't you guys, those were only two wheel drive Jeeps as well, right? Rear wheel drive, yeah. Rear wheel drive, but you wanted to treat them as if they were like legit. Like four wheel drive. So you yeah. took them behind the church. Didn't you guys get those stuck behind yes. the church? A couple we got times? one of them hard stuck. Yeah. And uh, who was it? Uh, someone had to pull us out of a swamp. Somebody with a big four wheel drive. I don't, yeah. I, don't I think I was who. there yeah. when that happened. It and I remember big, it was a little was bit. A lot of people. It was, who it was, went. All, it was during, it was after church or something. Yeah. yeah because like we were all out there watching you guys thinking, why? <laughs> well, we were. We, the answer it was a, is why a big not? mud bog. Yeah, <laughs> I loaded a couple people in, and I was just like showing off because <laughs> yeah. I had sort of muddy tires and it had positive traction, and yeah. so we just went bombing into the back field. Yeah, having a great time, but I'd never driven back there. Yeah, admittedly, so, we didn't know there was a swamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We drove it into the swamp because I didn't know there was a swamp there, so we just drove straight into a swamp, and That's it was like so awesome. <laughs> and then yeah we got it out though this is eventually. like an episode of life right like there are like in life you look back and there's like 
little periods, little episodes in life. And this is an episode I remember with you too, was the Jeeps. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it could be its own TV show. You know, what? <laughs> Steve, Steve, Steve finds Jeep. <laughs> shares with friend <laughs> friend rolls jeep friend sticks jeep in mud <laughs> yeah i flipped it too when i was out there did you flipped, really yeah, i flipped it upside down so and you know what I he mean, did no he rolled it back over and rolled kept it back going. over and drove home the um <laughs> that's a testament to the jeeps Tell the t- yeah, nothing else you'd I, mean, be some, I mean you gotta you gotta be going pretty fast if you're gonna put a box on its roof yeah, it depends square. on how heavy the roof is. It's a square. So how did so how did that happen? I just took it out in a field and I was doing donuts in a dry field uh, and then it yeah, fell dry, into a yeah. hole. Yep. And then it tripped it up. But <clears throat> we all know each other from Impact. So we all went to the same church and that was our that was our connection. Yep. yep. And from my perspective, there was like the Impact royalty, like it was you and Paul Cronowet and Donovan Jock and um, Rich Trahey. And then there was me. I was never in the same class as you guys. God, that's so funny. What is? That you see it that way. Well, because we were always, uh, we had the same leaders. Like Steve was still the same leader. Yeah. And so he would tell us, sto- there was stories that were passed down about you guys. And then Steve was a couple years older in school than I was. And so he was sort of the bridge. Like he shared some class with you guys, but you had graduated. So when I came in, I became friends with Steve and Steve was that bridge between us. And I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. We wanted to get Steve Adrianson to come over here too. Oh yeah. He should would be, sometime. That I'm would sure be awesome. well, if you guys can make it work schedule wise someday. That's, that's yeah, the that's trick. The and, yeah. um, but that would be awesome. But I was gonna say of that of the other group that was, um, you know, that I mentioned before that came before me. You were the one that really sort of took it on yourself and the initiative to reach in and hang out with people you didn't even necessarily were in high school with. I mean, you see us as not so separate in age, but at that time, yeah, at the time, it almost feels when like you're a generation. Younger, three or four years. Is, is a big difference, right? Yeah, when you're 15 and you don't have a driver's license or you're 16, you just got your driver's license and you're in 10th or 11th grade. And then you've got the guy who already moved out of his parents' house, has his own apartment and is doing his own thing. It's like, you're you're in my parents' generation. <laughs> but you're fun and cool. So, <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you know, those, those times, it was fun. You know... The, the truth of that story, too, is a little bit like, I think this is just a, a thing that is real. When you're in a, a high school youth group like that, and even though you're part of the broader church, mm-hmm. your identity is really as part of that group. Yeah. When you, ex- when you leave past that and you're not actually plugged in to the adult portion of the church, <laughs> it's hard to let go of that experience of being part of something that's so, I don't know, you know, it's kind of all encompassing when you're in high school and you're part of a youth group like that. Like that's like the big part of your life. You've got school and you've got youth group and then your friends in that and that's everything. So, you know, I left high school and there was nothing on the other side of that that could compare to the experience I had. So a little bit of your experience of me Mm -hmm. wasn't just like, 
I was like some great guy who was yeah. like uh, selflessly reaching back to the younger generations. To yeah. like, like, I still want to play. Know, there was a person of me that was like, oh man, the other side of this really is not that fun. Yeah. yeah. And man, if I can kind of go back a little bit, not like wanting to regress myself, but kind of plug back into that, then I can keep that kind of taste of life. Yeah. You know? So there was a little bit of that going on too, for sure. I wasn't as mature as maybe you saw me. <laughs> you know, though, when I was a freshman in high school at Lakeland, you were, I believe, a, probably a junior. I graduated in '94, so if you were '96, you were not, so you were a, a senior. Okay. So you, you were a senior. I'm a freshman, and to this day. I'm a teacher, so I walk the halls of schools to this day. But to this day, I remember something that you did every oh, no. time I passed you in the hall. <laughs> and every time I passed you in the hall, you had a smile ear to ear, and you would say, Hey, Steve. And like you just were excited. And Lakeland, I mean, that was kind of a dark and kind of it a. It was an armpit. It was a tough place to go to high school. <laughs> it did seem like under Milford in quality. For well, some I mean, the, it's changed. The aesthetic of the building has changed a little yeah. bit recently. But and that day, it looked like a prison. Yeah, it and straight up looked like a prison. There were like straight gray beige walls on the outside with like slits for windows, and that was it. Oh wow! And then the doors were like those steel, like heavy duty entry doors that did yeah. not, that looked formidable. That was how Lakeland looked. So, and it and had I a little remember. bit of that feeling inside, like you're in. Did you were, Milford have that? Too, you were doing or? time. Milford, yeah. <laughs> Milford was a warm carpet. Yeah, you know, like it, it was, was a like totally different fresh feel. baked goods that they pass out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I remember thinking as I'm walking through the halls, everyone's kind of got their heads down. There's nobody's happy, and then here's John Hart. I can see him down the hall. Hey, Steve. Hey, you know, and you're interacting. And to this day, I remember the moment I'd pass you, I'd be like, everything's better now. Aww. Right. Like, and so now when, as a teacher, when I'm walking down the hall, I'm emulating you. Oh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it definitely changed me. That's really, thank you for sharing that. I did not know that. I would say, you know, going back to that idea of we were in this kind of, insular youth group where we really had such an experience there that didn't there was nothing outside of it that compared i had such tremendous affection for people who shared that experience i mean tremendous affection everybody and i was like i felt like it was so good to be a part of a, a church youth group that there was so much like truth being learned and like you know, we were going on mission trips and we were serving and the church really kind of saw us like they the church kind of upheld the youth group too really well that I just felt like it was such good. I was always so sad if somebody didn't have that experience, like if somebody like came in and for some reason was became disenfranchised, maybe it was their own doing. Maybe it was something that just happened, you know, but if somebody came and then left, I was always like, oh, man, I feel so bad for them. Like, it's so good. So if I saw somebody from my church in school, it was like, hey, hey you know, it was the people. best. My people. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you guys did something right, because when I was there for the first time, when I first got into Grace, um, we've shared this story before, but he made a big spectacle coming in. And so initially yeah. I thought, 
wow that guy's got balls there's freedom like, here how does this i mean I, i'm that's christian freedom right there yeah i'm Bomb pretty, a window i'm pretty <laughs> <laughs> you heard the show i did i, re- I did hear so, that part. um but i remember being just really self-conscious because all of the peers that i had prior to that Everything was about being cool. Church was not cool. We were there because our parents forced us, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That mm-hmm. was my mentality. So then coming into the thing, I see him. I'm like, wow, this guy really doesn't care what people think of him. And um, then he came straight over to me as soon as the class was over, introduced himself, and like made a point to reach out to me because he recognized me as new. Me, desperate for friends, was like, did we just become best friends? Because I'm not going to let you go. <laughs> so uh, then he and awesome. I became friends. And it didn't take very long um, when Steve would say to me when we were at church, okay, here's what we do. Scan the room. Is anybody here new? And if anybody here is new, that's who we go and talk to as soon as class is over. Like he spelled it out for me what he did mm-hmm. as an intentional act. And it was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that makes perfect sense because that's what I got. Yep. So then we would do that. And it's like, I'm sure Steve got it from somewhere because I know Rich would oh, yeah. do the same thing. And it's like, whatever, whoever came before us passed on this and then we, you know, it was actually articulated. Now that I think about it, I don't know that I ever passed it on, but I know mm. that while I was there, that's what I always did too because that was the, it was like, these are what we do as the, well, yeah, I mean, there's things like that are taught, but they're also caught, right? So uh, like you said, I didn't, you're doing this thing in your high school hallways. I didn't like explicitly say, this is how you do it. Yeah. You just picked up on that, you mm-hmm. know? So even if you didn't like explicitly tell somebody, this is what you do, you know, being impacted by somebody who sees you when you feel like as an outcast and somebody comes and pulls you in, like you never forget that. And, you know, I think most people think later at some point. If that felt good for me, man, that probably would feel really good for others. I should try. Yeah. yeah. It was nice to have it explicitly told because sometimes <laughs> sometimes I could just. Because ex- we're knuckleheads. Too. I, yeah, That's the other I, side. Accept, I accept good feeling gifts and I'm like, yes, I got something. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that, sometimes yes. I don't make that correlation, but Hilarious. it was like, hey, this is what we do. And so I saw it as, oh, I have a job. Like That's cool. It gave me sort of also some purpose. So it really felt great. But um that definitely was something that was fostered. We we really had a great group. And I'm I feel bad for anybody who doesn't have that experience. Well, I'll tell you, you know, and, anything you look at where things are going right, you really always can kind of look straight up at where the leadership is. You really yeah, can. Yeah. And, you know, it's rare that you will find a culture of like good behavior and like self-sacrifice and people looking for mutual benefit. Um and then find that the leader is like a self-centered or, you know, kind of egotistical or something. So, mm-hmm. you know, you guys wanting to bring Steve Adrianson in to talk, I totally understand. You know, my first day at Grace Church yep. was Steve Adrianson's first day really? at Grace Church. Oh, wow. Yeah. I rode my bike up. I was living in an apartment at the time with my dad on M59. And um, my sister had started a Bible study in our house before we left. We moved out of it. Mm-hmm. And the people that were coming to it were like Donovan, uh, um, Jennifer Cool, um, Fritz Kromp. You may remember that name. Yeah. Um, Royalt- was- royalty from my <laughs> early days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me too, right? And so like there was this group of people that would come to our house and we'd have these Bible studies. And so I was going to a Presbyterian church 
um, at the time. But this Bible study was like my first introduction to like non-denominational Christians who are just looking in the word, mm-hmm. right? And not having it filtered to them through stories that mm-hmm. a priest or pastor might say. So it was just like really cool to meet people who did this, like actually read the word together and talked about it. Uh, and then I was like, you know, these people all go to Grace Church. And so one day I just decided to ride my bike up there and we were reading a book, like Answering the Tough Ones, Okay, I think is what it was called. Okay, And we were at a picnic table out in the grass, right where the driveway that leads up opens up into the parking lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a picnic over, table over there. And we were out there just reading. And Steve Aders, I've never seen him walk out. You know, he's got the leg that is, uh, doesn't work because of the you know sickness he had as a child. And so here he is kind of limping out. And I had no idea who he was. But I just remember thinking after talking to him briefly, I really like him. You know, and honestly, I went through a lot of turmoil in high school, you know, parents divorced, all kinds of crazy stuff happened. Um, you know, he was such a uh, good example of Christian love to me. It was so attractive. And that was why I had so much joy Yeah, is because I saw him pour into others and I saw how it like people's eyes were open. People were like excited to be there, you know, and uh, I loved being part of it. 